This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. Today on State of the World, convicted criminals from Russia who fought in Ukraine are now free. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories up close where they're happening. It's Friday, December 15th. I'm Greg Dixon. This week, Russian President Vladimir Putin held his traditional year-end four-hour press conference. When asked about when the war in Ukraine might end, he said, There will be peace when we achieve our goals. Russia's performance on the battlefield has improved in recent months, at least in part because of the sheer number of soldiers they're able to send into the fight. And getting those soldiers has involved recruiting criminals. A government program in Russia offers pardons to prisoners convicted of serious crime who agree to fight in Ukraine and who survive. But there are consequences to this policy, especially for victims of crimes and their families. NPR Moscow correspondent Charles Maines has been reporting on this, and he joins me now. Hey, Charles. Hey, Greg. So tell us a little bit about this program. When did it come about? It seems like it must be a sign of desperation for the Russian government. Well, you're right in a sense, because it came about during the early days of the Russian campaign in Ukraine when Russia was really struggling on the battlefield. Uh, And it was launched by the Wagner mercenary force, which had been pulled into the fight to help uh, Russia secure some of its military objectives. We started hearing stories of prisoners being offered amnesty deals. Go fight for six months in Ukraine, and if you survive, you're a free man. Eventually, this uh, shifts over to the defense ministry, which kind of takes over this approach, which shows just how effective the Russian government seems to feel it works. What do you think the cost-benefit is for someone in prison, I guess, considering this? It's, you know, like you said, when it started... Russia wasn't doing well, and they were sort of sending waves and waves of of people towards the Ukrainian front to possibly die. Um, What do you think the mindset would be for, for somebody in prison considering this option? Well, you're right. I mean, these men were recruited as cannon fodder for Russia's military objectives. But you can certainly see the appeal if you're in a Russian prison colony facing years uh, in pretty grim circumstances there. It's a chance for freedom, uh, maybe a slim one, uh, a chance for a new lease on life uh, for those maybe who've made mistakes in the past and want to redeem themselves in the eyes of uh, their country or their families. Uh, but there's also a darker side to all this, of course. You know, some of these are convicts who've committed the most heinous crimes, people with very violent pasts. And, you know, while that may be an effective trade on the battlefield, what happens when they return home? Right, because the program's been uh, in place long enough now that some of them presumably are getting their pardons. Yeah, we're starting to hear stories of people returning back to their communities, um, having received these pardons from the Kremlin, from President Vladimir Putin. And what I found was that victims and their families are really struggling to understand how these men uh, were rehabilitated in the eyes of the government, uh, given their past transgressions. You've talked to some of these families, and you've got a story about that. Let's listen. The footage is grainy in that way that digital video, even from a few years ago, just 2015, can look older than it is. The setting, a local World War II memorial park in Kisilovsk, a city in a mining region of central Siberia. But this much is clear when Vera Pekhtadova takes the microphone. She could sing. 
вокалом она очень хорошо занималась. Владимир Пектедов, Вера's uncle, says for all her talents, what he remembers and misses most is her kindness. За все там 23 года, которых я ее знал, да. In the entire 23 years that I knew her, I can't remember her arguing with me or anyone. She was a happy and good person. All of this made the recent news more painful. Pektilova's killer, an ex-boyfriend who'd been convicted by a Russian court of torturing her to death over the course of 12 hours in January of 2020, was again free, despite ongoing litigation, despite the law, despite logic. We called the court to ask why it was taking so long for the next hearing, and they told us it was because they couldn't find him. We were shocked. He disappeared. Pektilova's family later came across a photograph on social media that showed him at a barbecue with friends, wearing army fatigues. Their inquiries to the defense ministry provided no clear answers, until months later they learned that Pektilova's killer had received a pardon from Russian President Vladimir Putin for his military service in Ukraine. He was less than a year into a 17-year prison term. People I barely know come up to me and say, is it really true? They let him out? They are concerned that he'll be out walking the same streets with them and their children. Many families in Russia, they now have this dilemma. Alona Popova is a human rights lawyer who has long championed changes to domestic violence laws in Russia. Popova says she and her team have been contacted by scores of victims and their families who learned unexpectedly that convicted rapists and murderers were roaming free following their service in Ukraine. And we don't have any statistics because we don't know how many people were mobilized from these penal colonies. We don't know how many people returned from the war. We don't know how many people were pardoned because all this information now is like a secret. Yet the program to recruit prisoners couldn't be more public. In September of 2022, videos emerged of Yevgeny Prigozhin, the then head of the Wagner mercenary group, making the rounds of prison colonies and offering a deal. Survive six months in Ukraine fighting for Wagner, and you're a free man. There's zero chance you'll go back to prison, Prigozhin tells a crowd of convicts in one video. But those of you who get to Ukraine and then change your mind will mark you a deserter and shoot you on the spot. There aren't that many people who want to go to the front, explains Sergei Sokolov, editor of Nova Gazeta, a Russian independent newspaper that's covered Wagner. So someone on high had a great idea that there's a group of people ready to take part in the war in exchange for their freedom, prisoners. And if these people have moral shortcomings, well, that wasn't a concern. Wagner's recruitment effort came at a moment when Russia was struggling on the battlefield, says Sokolov. Yet Prigozhin soon left the picture. He died in a still unexplained plane crash in August of this year. But by then, the defense ministry had taken over the practice of recruiting prisoners. Meanwhile, for Sokolov and his colleagues at Nova Gazeta, the story was about to get personal. The body of Anna Politkovskaya was found with several gunshot wounds. The Russian journalist was shot in the head. In 2006, Anna Politkovskaya, the newspaper's star investigative reporter, was shot to death in her Moscow apartment building. She was 48 and had two children. Last month, the newspaper learned that one of several men convicted of her murder had also been freed to go fight in Ukraine. Sokolov says the assassin's release was painful but expected given the times. He also argues it was proof. Authorities had little intention of resolving the key question that's hung over the case for nearly two decades. Who ordered Politkovskaya's murder? 
So you can once and for all come to the conclusion that no one is interested in solving the murder of Anna Politkovska. Popova, the human rights lawyer, notes the families of victims who challenge the amnesty rulings publicly risk violating new laws that make, quote, denigrating the Russian army a criminal penalty. Whatever their past crimes, notes Popova, these former convicts are now celebrated military veterans in the eyes of the government. They are like uh, so-called heroes. And when you are the hero, the whole system is behind your back. So you are totally protected by this system. When asked about the amnesty program, the Kremlin has been unrepentant. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov defended the practice, saying the men have atoned for their crimes through blood on the battlefield. Vladimir Pechtelev, Vera's uncle, says he finds such justifications baffling. The government isn't the victim here. The parents are. How can Vera's killer have pushed himself of guilt in their eyes? The Pechtelev family say they're going public in the hope the Kremlin will reconsider its decision. Maybe, they say, President Putin made a mistake or hadn't been informed of all the circumstances. All Pechtelev knows is he wouldn't wish what his family's going through on his worst enemy. For three years, all we sought was basic justice, he says. Justice that's slipping away. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow. That's the state of the world from NPR. Real quick, if you appreciate the depth of our on-the-ground reporting, for example, if you like hearing from our correspondent in Moscow, please consider supporting us. Here are two ways you can do that. You can sign up for State of the World Plus at plus.npr.org or in Apple Podcasts. You can also make a tax-deductible donation to your local NPR station. You'll find links in our show notes. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash on investing or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.